You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. How are you guys? Hey, that video, when I see that video, I I just, like, I need to express my appreciation for our church family. Can we just thank the Lord? Thank you, Father, for a community of people, like-minded individuals. Check this out. The, the, thing, the thing that we have in common, the thing that makes us family, is also the thing that is the most real about us. That's powerful. Right? Like you, can, you can become friends with someone, and you can, you can like, you know, uh, commiserate together. I've heard that recently. Um, friend, friendships based on common grievances are no better than acquaintances. But relationships that are centered on truth and a common passion, those last forever. And I was like, that person's not even a Christian that said that, but they're onto something. What we have here is more than a shared grievance. We have a common passion to see Jesus Christ made known in this community, to be in his family. And so I'm excited this morning just for the happening and the life in this room. So good, good, good to be with you. Uh, Also, I just love that Discipleship 101 is happening. I love what Daniel said about that. And can I just modify his description briefly? We've been saying if you're new to faith or exploring, but I just want to modify it. If you, no matter who you are, if you feel like you are lacking a foundation of the basics, if you feel like, man, I jumped on the train, I got moving, but I feel like I actually never put down roots, I want to invite you to come, all right? Join a little cohort, go through this class together, and let's just grow in faith together. Sound good? Awesome. All right, let's jump in. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 12. We're continuing our series, The Return of the King. Jesus, King Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem, and he is flipping tables and turning heads, and uh, we are learning a lot in this season. And so Mark chapter 12 starting in verse 13. And as you turn there, I want to tell you, I have a friend that I grew up with, middle school, high school. uh, And this dude is sharp, super smart, really articulate. And ever since we were in eighth grade, very politically aware, which is not common for a middle schooler, you know. And so really sharp dude, love that guy. And, uh, you know, life happens. We've lost touch. I moved to the West Coast. Well, I moved back to the East Coast a couple years ago, and I ran into his parents. And it was like, what? No way. It's just one of those special moments of like, you saw me when I was 15 last. I'm a grown man. You know, it's just like one of those cool dynamics, you know. And um, and so I'm talking to the parents, and it's so good to see you. And And I ask about my friend, and I go, how's he doing? And I was saddened to learn that my friend and his wife had not talked to them for two years because of the way they voted in the 2020 election. They didn't realize that on the ballot that day was, will I see my children or not, did they? I have another group of, uh, of people that I know and that I formerly pastored, and there's this young adult couple, beautiful people, grew up in loving families, both of these young people married at 21 years old, followers of Jesus, just had their first kid last year. I was called by them and their parents and informed that this young married couple had decided to not allow their parents 
to see their newborn baby and would be moving in order to avoid their political influence from contaminating their child. It's tough. I knew a woman who, who served faithfully at her church for 25 years. You would know this lady, right? As, as she would come and you'd see her every day at church. And she was just, she was just, she was part of the decoration. She was there forever. Faithful, serving, teaching multiple generations of children the gospel. And she decided to leave the church, to never look back, because she couldn't stand to gather with other people in a room who felt differently about wearing a piece of paper on their face. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one who thinks that we live in a divided world this morning? We don't just have issues. We have explosive issues. People don't talk with each other. They talk at each other. People have, have quit reasoning and, and, and using logic, and instead of conversing to come to an agreement, we just now resort to discrediting one another, to eliminating each other from the conversation. We have to silence each other. It's called we cancel people. And so when we live in this kind of world, right, if any rational person, every, any adult who's here thinking, any teenager trying to navigate high school, the, the question that weighs on our soul is, how do we live like this? How do we live in this kind of world? And I don't even know what your faith story is here, and I don't presume to, to know where you are, but, but if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, the question is extra poignant for you. How do you live in a divided world? How do you follow Jesus when every situation feels like a powder keg about to explode? And so on the one hand, we wonder, do we just, just dig in our heels, pick a side, and just fight back? Or do we just ignore it, put our head in the sand, and hope it all falls away, right? On the one hand, we want to be responsible citizens. We want to engage. We want to seek change. We want to care about things that matter. But then on the other hand, we're just tired of it. Tired of the division, tired of the, the politics, tired of these issues. And so the question for us is how do we follow Jesus in a divided world? How do we conduct ourselves when everything is so politically charged? How do we, what is the posture that we should have? What is the path forward? How do we follow Jesus in a divided world? What is the way of Jesus so that we can imitate him? as we navigate this. And so I know this feels like a major 2023 problem, right? We're like, yeah, welcome to 2023, Sam. It's not getting any better. Okay, maybe, but, but I want you to know this is not a 2023 problem because Jesus Christ, when he arrived, he came into a very divided society. Do you know that they had politics in Jerusalem? Local politics, global politics, they had their share of hot-button issues. Do you know that there were parties in Jesus' day? <gasps> Faint a gasp, at least, so I look like I'm teaching you something. <gasps> Thank you. Yeah, that inspires me, just so you know. I love when you guys talk back to me, right? It's like, oh, no way. Yes, there were. Do you know that there were people? I just talk to myself if you don't talk to me, so help me out. There are people in Jesus' day who chose the path of pacifism, and they literally went into the desert, sealed themselves off and said, we're not going to interact with society until God comes back. <laughs> 2,000 years later, right? It's like pacifists. 
And then on the other hand, you had zealots, right? Some people actually believe that one of Jesus' disciples, um, Iscariot, was not a last name. Iscariot means man of a short sword. Some people think that not only did Jesus recruit a, a, a tax collector, he also recruited a zealot, right? And so you have these zealots over here, these freedom fighters who were literally going and killing Roman officials. Guys, talk about politics. And so this morning, just for a few moments, we're going to see that Jesus is thrown into the fiery, white-hot center of one of the most debated issues of their day. Jesus is thrown right into the white-hot center of a hot-button issue. And the reason why he's there this morning is not because he stepped into it, it's because he was dragged into it. Because there are people out here who are trying to cancel Jesus. There are people out here who are trying to eliminate him from the discourse, who are trying to silence his influence, who are trying to undercut his ministry and shh him so that they can stay in charge. And so as he does this, as Jesus responds to the situation, here's what's important for us. And here's where I want you to put on your, your learner cap and your learner glasses, or I don't know. But here's what I want you to pay attention to. How does Jesus conduct himself? Because then we can learn a path, a posture, and a perspective for navigating our issues. Sound good? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? You guys ready for this? Here we go. Let me read the entire passage, Mark chapter 12, verse 13 to 17, and then we'll break it down. Let's look at it together. And they sent to him, this is Jesus, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This is God's word for you this morning. Let's look at it again. Let's start in verse 13, and let's see what it says. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees, we've seen them before, and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Let's pause there and take note, friends, that you can flatter Jesus with your words while disregarding him with your heart. You can flatter Jesus with your words while disregarding him in your heart. And so some of the religious leaders, they come to Jesus this morning, and that's a good thing, right? Don't we want people to come to Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. So they come to Jesus, but it's not to learn. They don't come to him in faith. Don't be confused. I know they say teacher, but how many of you know not everyone who calls him teacher is teachable? 
Not everyone who calls him teacher is teachable. And so their motivation is clear. They're not here to take notes. They're here to trap him in his talk. Sounds like the media, doesn't it? <laughs> Leading questions, right? They want him on the record, cameras rolling, phones out, trying to bait him to say something controversial so they can tank his ministry and destroy his influence. And so first, it's as sleazy as it gets, right? First, they butter him up, right? How many of you have children who like to butter you up? Daddy, you're the best dad in the whole world. Man, I love you. I just, you give me everything I ever need and want. Anyway, unrelated, could I have? You know what I'm talking about, right? Some children in the room said, oh, he knows our playbook. Oh, yeah, we do. I wrote it, okay? And so they are buttering Jesus up here, and they flatter him, and they say, teacher, we know that you are true. No one cares less about people's opinions than you. No one just tells it as it is like you do. And so, Jesus, you know, why don't you just tell us exactly what you think? Tell it to us how it is. In other words, don't worry about being diplomatic. Don't worry about being tactful. Just, just tell the truth while we happen to be on Instagram Live. You get it? They're trying to bait him. They're trying to provoke him to give an unrefined, less than tactful, controversial answer. And here's what amazes me. Mark is like so to the point. Mark is like next, 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 next. But notice how he, he could have just said they flattered him. Moving on. No, no, he actually gives us, like, the transcript of their conversation. Like, he, he lets us have a soundbite. He gives us a quick little reel because it makes it more memorable. And so as we actually hear the flattery, as we actually hear it extended for a long amount of time, we realize that it is possible to flatter Jesus with your words while being far from him with your hearts. Their example shows us that it is possible to flatter Jesus with your words, to say all the right things, and yet really be far from him in your hearts. I mean, look what they're saying. I mean, these are true things, are they not? Music people, would this not make a killer worship song? You are true, and you don't care about anyone's opinion. These are true words, but friends, we can say the right things. We can sing the worship songs. We can show up in a room like this. And regardless of what's happening with our words, something else can be happening in our hearts. And we realized this morning that Jesus doesn't want to be flattered. He wants to be worshiped. Jesus doesn't want to be flattered. He wants to be worshipped. And so as we see these men here, we just, we got to pause and, and at least for a moment take inventory of our own hearts. Do I come with words filled with flattery or do I come with a genuine heart of faith? Are you here this morning because you say the right words and you sing the right songs and you know the right answers? Or are you here with a genuine desire to worship God with all of your being? So we know what they're doing. And so they butter him up, and here comes the question. Here is where they spring their trap. They say, Jesus, 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 we just, just tell us how it is. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them 
or should we not? And so if you're not up to date, I don't know how many of you are, up to date on the political environment of Jerusalem circa 33 AD, you may not understand that this is a loaded question. Guys, put this right up there with like immigration policy, vaccines, defense spending. I mean, this is like loaded. You've got to read between the lines here, right? You've got to understand the political landscape. This is a hot button issue. Are we under obligation to submit to the authority of Rome or should we revolt and aspire to be the global superpower that we were in the Old Testament? Are you following me? Should we bend the knee to Caesar? Should we accept Roman occupation, Jesus, as Jews? Or should we revolt and try to be what we once were under King David? Man, talk about dividing a synagogue. Talk about Twitter wars. Talk about Facebook clashes. Friends, people were divided on this issue. And so you have to understand the players, right? I like to call them, you have the pro-tax people and the anti-taxers, Okay? Pro-tax, and because everything's an anti, right? Anti-taxers, anti-Rome, anti-government, all right? And so understand the players, because some of them are actually standing right here, and you didn't even notice them. And so first, we have a group of people called the Herodians. Keyword, Herod. This is the political party that supported Herod. They support the Roman occupation. They don't mind that they've lost their, their cultural and political identity, because guess what? Rome is putting money in their pockets, to have power over their countrymen. They sold out to Rome. They love Herod. So of course they're pro-tax. Yeah, pay them your taxes because they're paying us and we like our positions. But I'm sure you can imagine that's the minority position, right? How do most people feel on the streets as they grab their hummus in the morning, right? Go stop somebody in the street, do interviews on the street. Hey, over hummus and your, and your pita bread here, tell me, what do you think? Now you could imagine the general population did not want Roman occupation. The general population very much wished to be free of Caesar out from under his thumb. They resented giving their hard-earned money to crooked tax collectors. So you got to understand, this is why so many people misunderstood Jesus. They thought that the Messiah would come to free them from Rome. Not a dude who was going to die on a cross. And so they ask Jesus, do you see the trap? Does anybody see the trap that they're setting here? They think this is a lose-lose situation. And so if they can get him to say, don't pay it, man, those Herodians would love to get a viral clip of anti-tax, anti-Rome, insurrectionist Jew causing mayhem. They'd love to send that video to Herod. So if we can get him going against the government, we got him trapped. But if we can get him to say, yes, pay them, well, then we can cancel him because nobody in the general population is going to support him anymore. Nobody in the general population is going to think he's for them. He's just some elitist like the Herodians. Do you guys see the trap? Anybody else feel the tension? I'm nervous for Jesus. Are you? Oh, I feel it. So before we see his answer, I, like, I know we're not here to trap Jesus, but let's just acknowledge a couple things. Number one, I'm at least a little bit interested to hear his answer. Are you? Like if I was on my phone at night scrolling through and I saw a headline, Jesus responds on our position on taxes. I'd be like, I want to click on that one. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind to know, Jesus, what do you think about taxes? So we're going to learn what Jesus thinks about taxes, yes. But beyond that, it's not just taxes that interest me. 
I'm paying attention here because I want to know, how does Jesus handle divisive issues? How does Jesus navigate politics? And might his approach be instructive for people like you and me who are trying to live in a politically divided world? Who are trying to work in a politically, envi- uh, politically divided environment. Those of us who are trying to parent. Those of us who are trying to be good spouses. Those of us who are trying to be good extended relatives. Is there something in Jesus' example here that can show us how to navigate this divided world? And the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. Look what he says here. Verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God, God's. And they marveled at him. Second point we see here is that the image determines the owner. And so Jesus, he, he sees right through their flattery. Jesus, the mirror, he sees their motives. Remember last year we saw that? Mirror, mirror, right and true. Why do I do what I do? Why do they do what they do? Because he, they're hypocrites. He sees right through their motives. He sees their flattery. And he calls, he goes, all right, you know what? We're going to do this. He calls for a coin. He calls for a coin. He says, bring me a denarius, which was a coin, maybe not unlike this. He goes, bring me a coin. Let me look at it. And so they bring it to him. And I, I just imagine Jesus, he gets it in his hand, maybe doing a little flip you know, and he just, he's holding it here. And as he examines the coin, I just, I imagine them all looking at him going, oh yeah, he's stalling. Oh, we got him now, right? Oh, look at him. He doesn't know what he's going to say, right? Get our tweets ready. We are ready to cancel Jesus. And he, and he looks at the coin and he goes, whose inscription is this? Whose face is on this? And they're like, Jesus, you can't stall forever. We'll tell you, right? Whose likeness is it? Caesar's. Hmm. This is Caesar's image, huh? Yes. Th- this is a picture of Caesar. Yes, Jesus. This coin was made in the image of Caesar? Yes. Huh, interesting. Well, if it has his image on it, then it sounds like it belongs to him. So there, give it to him. Render to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's. That's a pretty clear position on taxes, right? And this is in line with what the rest of the scriptures teach, right? Paul says in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Everything we do is an act of worship, Paul is saying even handling your taxes with integrity. Isn't that crazy? You're like, Jesus, I just want to live for you like in my marriage. You know, I, I'll live for you with my habits. But taxes, you stay out of it. Jesus, stay in your lane. No, no, no. Everything we do is an act of worship. And so even as you prepare your taxes, you're, you're, you're viewing through the government and instead you're understanding that I am worshiping God by honoring his order and authority and the organization that he has put in place over me. 
And so Jesus is pretty clear here. Yeah, give it to Caesar. And they think the trap has sprung. They think they've got him. They think that they've trapped him. Yes, he said pay taxes. And before they can complete their tweets, before they can hit send on this video, before they can even stop high-fiving, Jesus says, and, how many of y'all know that there's an and, right? And to God, the things that are God's. So they, they pause their tweets, they pause their high five, and they go, wait, what? What did he say belongs to God? I don't know, I don't know what he said. What, what does he say we should give to him? And as he holds the coin in his hand, the coin that is made in the image of Caesar, his point is becoming clear. Whatever's fashioned, whatever has Caesar's image is Caesar's. And whatever has God's image is God's. So give it to him. Give him the thing that is made in God's image. He's not talking about coins anymore, is he, friends? Are you guys picking up what Jesus is putting down? He goes, oh, this is, this is in Caesar's image, huh? Okay, well, then give it to him. And give to God whatever's fashioned in his likeness. What's fashioned in the image of God? Anybody know? Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Jesus' point is crystal clear this morning. You're made in his image. So give him your life. You're made in the image of God. And so give him your life. Friends, you are immensely valuable. You, as a human being, in all of your uniqueness and diversity and idiosyncrasies, all of you have, you are the most valuable thing in the universe. Not because you've done something to earn it. Not because you're really cool. Not because somebody else said it. But because you are an image bearer of the living God. The invisible spirit of God that invades, that, that, inhabits all of the universe. He created mankind. He created birds, monkeys, fish, beasts of the earth, sea creatures, all the things he created, trees. But only mankind was made in his image. You are an image bearer of God and you are immensely valuable. From the moment that you were conceived in your mother's womb, that is an image of God and we value it. And because you're valuable, because you're made, in the image of God, you belong to him. And so give him your life. You see, I reflect God's goodness and his character. So do you. When we see people do art, that reflects the creativity of God. When we see people just so good with reconciliation, that is a reflection of God's goodness. There are people all around this world that when we look at them, there are a lot of things that I do that you go, that's not God. I don't know what that's reflecting. That's not reflecting God. But there's something, there's a sliver of me that you go, ooh, that gives me a picture of what God is like. That's why community is so much fun because we all give each other a small glimpse. Male and female, both of us differently reflect different attributes of God. And together we complement each other and we go, that's the, the nurturing heart of God with the strength of God, right? There's just, it's beautiful. But here's the problem. As if the Mona Lisa itself has been defaced, the image of God in you has been 
defaced. Sin mars the image of God in you. Sin has defaced it. God's reflection is distorted. So when you see me, you don't just see God anymore like you did Adam. You you see sin warped in there. God's reflection is distorted. His goodness is warped. But here's the good news of our passage this morning. Is that we're talking about Jesus Christ, the perfect image of God, and how he came to restore. He came to redeem us so that we would once again be his image bearers. And the Redeemer himself is here this morning declaring, you're made in his image, so give him your life. He wants you. Jesus said it. He wants you. He wants you to give him your relationships. He wants you to give him your work habits. He wants you to give him all of your habits. He wants you to give him your parenting. He wants you to give him your relationships. He wants you to give him your deepest longings and dreams. Friends, he wants your heart. Let him lead. You're made in his image. So give him your life. And as you follow him, you know what he does? As you follow him day by day, filled with the Holy Spirit, listening to him as your teacher, not just with word, but in heart, you know what he does? He begins to restore the image of God in you and he begins to clean it up and he redeems you and every day more and more, you more perfectly reflect the goodness of God. Every day, you more adequately reflect his goodness in your relationships and at work and with your neighbors and in your family. You're his masterpiece. You are the image of God. And so give him your life. And so that's his message to the religious leaders. Here they are trying to trap him, and he has turned it on their heads. He has switched the focus back to what it's all about. And as we close, I want you to notice what Jesus just did. Listen to what he said, but then notice what he did. He said to them, you're trying to get me to weigh in on lowly earthly matters, but your concerns are not high enough. The political concerns that you occupy yourself with, they may be important. These political issues that you're focused on, they they may be important. These debates that you're waging war in, they may be important. But as I enter the conversation, I'm going to remind you that there's a difference between what's important and what's of the utmost importance. You're trying to pull me into a debate, but I want you to know I'm more concerned with your response to the Father than I am with your politics. I'm more concerned about the state of your soul than I am about the state of your debates. And as he reorients their, politi- their perspective from politics to God, as he draws their energy from earthly matters to glorious matters, it says that they marveled at him. And they go, we thought we just had two sides. I thought there was just red and blue. I thought it was just anti-tax or pro-tax. I thought it was just pacifist or zealot. And they marvel because Jesus shows a third way. And so, yes, we got his answer to taxes, but we got so much more. We get a major lesson in how to conduct ourselves in a politically charged atmosphere. And here's his lesson. We must not allow the issues to cause us to lose the distinction between important 
and utmost importance. When you lose the distinction between utmost importance and important, you fail to operate as kingdom people and you start to be known as political parties. And there's a major difference between kingdom people and political parties. Let me tell you the difference here. Kingdom people reconcile, but political parties divide. Kingdom people seek Jesus' mind in all things. Political parties seek their agenda. Kingdom people long for Jesus' return because that's their hope. Political parties long for their candidate's victory because that's their hope. Kingdom people pray more than they post. Political parties post more than they pray. Kingdom people respect diversity of opinion while political parties choose to live in echo chambers. Kingdom people watch their hearts closely while political parties judge others' motives closely. Kingdom people seek understanding. Political parties seek to be understood. Kingdom people prayerfully pursue heart change. Political parties settle for legislation. Let me pause on that one. If the laws change and people's hearts don't, is that a win for you? Do you settle for that win? Yes, it's important. And, where's the and? And. Kingdom people seek first his kingdom. Political parties seek first political wins. Do you see the difference? And this is what Jesus is representing. No wonder they marvel at him because Jesus is affirming our responsibility to engage as responsible citizens. Yes, pay your taxes, the laws of this land, the political candidates, the culture wars. Are they important? Yes. Should we pray for our leaders? Should we be active in seeking the welfare of our community? Should we vote our conscience? Should we pay our taxes by April 15th? Yes. But he reminds us not to neglect or be distracted from the utmost importance, giving ourselves to God. Let us not be distracted from God's number one agenda, the universal plan for all of eternity. His grand scheme is to redeem humanity. His grand plan, like we saw with the Mona Lisa, is to bring people to a place where they give him their lives, creating a family of people who live for the one in whose image they are made. And so church, here's the message this morning. Operate as kingdom people, not political parties. You're made in his image, so give him your life. Citizens of America and Canada. (laughs) Great timing, Daniel. Thank you. You are first and foremost citizens of heaven, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to sub- even to subject all things to himself. Where's our citizenship? It's in heaven. I'm not an American who just so happens to be a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus who just so happens to be American. You're made in his image, so give him your life. Lord, we love you, Father. We are so grateful for the the words and the example of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would transform us. Lord, you see through the flattery, you see the motives, and so we can't lie to you, let alone to ourselves. 
And so we just ask you, would you examine our hearts, do surgery in our souls where we are more kingdom, where we are more political parties than kingdom people do work in our hearts. Father, where we are more filled with flattery than we are faith, do work in our hearts. God, in whatever ways we say the right things, but we still want to be our own Lord, do work in our hearts. You have made us in your image, so may we carry that image. May we reflect it everywhere where our footsteps so that people would see just how good you are. We love you, Father. We praise you with hearts filled with faith and gratitude. May your kingdom come quickly. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.